everyone doing? Good? Good Thanksgiving? Yeah? P traveling? Anybody traveling for Thanksgiving? Yeah? No? Okay. No? I guess not. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's, uh, so I've been telling people my family has slowly been migrating from Chicago to Chattanooga over the last like five or so years, and um, they're all here now, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, and what's cool about that is that means uh, no more driving to Chicago for holidays, which is super fun. Uh, my parents are here tonight, by the way. Um, uh, so yeah, having local grandparents is amazing, and not driving to Chicago is super fun, um, too, for Thanksgiving. Um, I had a couple thoughts um, before I even get going. I was back there during worship, and, you know, we just got singing... Uh, I don't even know which song it was, but one of the things that I love that we do, you know, Braden, Katie, whoever's uh, leading, that it seems like once we've caught sort of a, a flow of the Holy Spirit, we've kind of caught uh, sort of the river that in which he's moving, uh, that we don't mind to kind of sit in the same thing and say the same things over and over again. And uh, I just felt to say, too, you know, it doesn't, I don't know who this is for, if anybody in here was wondering or thinking, I wonder why... Why they're seeing the same thing over and over and over and over again? We, sometimes we there are nights where if you if you go here, you know we'll sing the same song for 45 minutes, and it's just the same thing. And personally, I love it. And um, you know, I heard somebody say one time that you know words don't grow cold. If anything, hearts grow cold, but words don't grow cold. And so it doesn't bother the Lord to hear us sing the same thing over and over again. Um, and I was reminded of uh, Revelation 4. I'm going to pull this up on my phone, which my phone is all, uh, it's all sticky. Uh, was anybody at the uh, Ford O parade last night? Yeah. We went, uh, I saw a few people, saw the Sims and the Claytons, I guess y'all were there, yeah. Um, and, you know, they were throwing candy and Isabel got a lollipop. And if you've ever watched a baby eat a, eat a lollipop, it's like a full body experience. But um, she ate that and then she got her little hands on my phone and there's still a lollipop all over this thing. Um, but here we go. So this is Revelation 4, starting in verse 6. Around the throne and on each side stood four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature resemb resembled a lion, the second an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, full of eyes all around and under their wings. They worshiped without ceasing, day and night, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And so I got thinking about that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And for eternity, this is what they've been doing. They've been standing around the throne and just singing the same song, the same lyrics over and over. And I think, it, you know, there was a point where I thought that maybe it was their job to stand around the throne and to tell the Lord that he was holy, that it was just kind of their job and it was their, I don't know, heavenly duty to stand around the throne and just to proclaim that and sing that the Lord is holy. But notice that how many times it says that they are full of eyes, the front and the back, the wings, under and beneath uh, and above. They are full of eyes. And I want to propose to you that maybe it's not their job to stand around the throne and to tell the Lord that he's holy, but maybe it's just that them, in the way that they are positioned around the throne with their many eyes, I think that when you catch a glimpse, <laughs> I think that when you catch a glimpse of the Father, I think the only response is to say, holy, holy, holy. 
And so, I, it's, you know, one of the things that I love just about our house and our worship is that we don't mind to stay in the same flow. If, you know, we could sing You Are Worthy for an hour and it would mean nothing, you know? It'd mean nothing and, you know, we wouldn't get tired of that. It would just be, um, you know, we could do that all day long. And I think, you know, just the Lord doesn't grow, he doesn't grow tired of that. Words don't grow cold. Um, our hearts may grow cold, but the words that we sing uh, of worship and adoration and praise to the Lord, they don't. So, all right, that wasn't even, that was a freebie. That wasn't even the message. So, let's see. Um, Jamie asked if I would speak on gratitude today, um, which I think is very fitting for the season that we're in. And I want to start by reading 1 Thessalonians 5. I'll give you a minute to get there. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. We'll read through verse 18. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And these next three verses are where we're going to land for tonight. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever asked the question, pondered the question, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever wondered that? You pondered? I think it's, an, I think it's a good question. It's fair. It's important. Um... I do think that, I think that as we grow in sonship and maturity, I think with that comes an increased desire to live in obedience to the Lord. And I think that as we, as we grow in sonship and as we grow in maturity, I think, I think part of that process is that what that means is that we are catching greater revelation of the love of the Father. Um, <clears throat> It comes with it, an increased desire to live in obedience. You know, kind of a side note, one of the interesting things about obedience is that obedience can actually only be, it can only be the result of love and connection and safety and honor. So we sing, we sing about the Lord, that he is good, right? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And all, it seems like all we're interested in speaking lately is just the heart of the father and sonship and righteousness. And we so desperately want everybody in this house to catch the heart of the father. And it's important because too often people who, especially people who grew up in the church, uh, they end up with a mindset about the father in which he, it's not so much that he is good and kind and safe and loving, but it's more that he's angry, he's scary, right? And the thing about that is, if I have a concept of the Father in which I believe that he is angry, that he's scary, um, even if I do what he's asking me to do, I'm not obeying him, I'm surviving him. 
And so the more we catch the heart of the Father, the more we catch his love for us, um, the more we are actually able to step into obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 31, he said, I do what the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love him. And it's the same for me as a parent, too. I could get Nora to do what I want her to do by making her afraid of me. But if she does what I want her to do because she's afraid, did she obey me or did she survive me? And so it's important that we catch the heart of the Father because it's only when we actually catch his love and we understand that everything he does as, as a father falls within the context and the confines of love and honor and safety and security, then we can actually step into true sonship and true obedience. But um, there is, I'll say, there is a general will of God for your life, and there is a more specific, individualized will of God for your life. Um, the specific will of God are things that he would ask of you personally. Um, as you know, Stephen and Taylor, the Lord has asked them to move from Seattle to Chattanooga, and that's a specific thing that the Lord is calling them to. The Lord is not calling the world to Chattanooga, but he's, he's sending specific callings. Some people are called to be missionaries, some teachers, some are called to start businesses. Um, there are specific w will and uh, calls uh, and invitations from the Lord, and then there are generalized, a generalized will. And that is the general will of God are the things that applies to everybody. That if you're in this room, you fall uh, you fall under that category of uh, the general will of God. And <clears throat> I think I do think it's important that we pursue the individual call, the individual and specific will of God for our lives, because um, I ascribe to the belief that the Lord is is deeply interested in every area of our lives. And I think that for as much as we'll listen, he'll, he'll speak. And I think that he's always inviting us into, into very specific, personalized things. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to get so caught up in pursuing the specific will of God for my life that I overlook or undermine the general will of God for my life. Because I think both are extremely important. I like, you know, Katie and I, and we very much try to live our life uh, by the Spirit, and that, you know, if the Spirit says, do this, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do it. Um, and so, you know, it can be easy getting caught up, though, in questioning, oh my gosh, am I living, am I living in the right house and in the right city, and am I at the right job, and am I at the right, and I think those are important questions to ask, but are we also asking ourselves the generalized questions, right? Not just, am I doing and being where I'm supposed to be, but Am I, have, am I learning to love well? Am I learning to represent the kindness and goodness of God well to the people around me? Or in the context of this verse, am I, have I considered what it actually means to live a lifestyle of rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances? And a question I want to answer first is, how is that even possible? How is it actually possible to rejoice always? How is it possible to pray without ceasing? How is it possible to give thanks in all circumstances? What's interesting about, uh, we'll take rejoice and, and giving thanks. Rejoicing always, and believe it or not, in the Greek it actually says, it means always. Um, so rejoice always. 
uh, give thanks in every circumstance. And what's hard about that is that not every circumstance that we face actually naturally lends itself to an expression of joy and gratitude. And that's what makes it so difficult. Um, and two, pray without ceasing. Um, if it sounds impossible to pray without ceasing, then I think we need an upgraded understanding or, or concept of what prayer actually is. I remember there was a time where I thought, I thought, pray without ceasing. Well, I got to eat and I got to, I got to sleep and, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to watch movies and I'm going to hang out with people. So what, like, do I have to become one of those people who's just like muttering in tongues under my breath all the time, you know? And, uh, you know, I've wondered like, what does that actually mean? Well, I think we need to consider that prayer is not just speaking to the Lord, but it's communicating with the Lord and communicating is speaking, but it's also listening. And I think Jesus modeled this when he said in, uh, in John 5, he said, uh, I only do what I hear the Father doing. And in John 12, he said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. And I think Jesus modeled a, modeled a lifestyle of having his ears constantly tuned to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's, that's a really big piece of what it means to pray unceasingly is to be in all times and all places willing to have your ear open to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And something we need to re recognize about joy and gratitude is that joy and gratitude are actually choices that we can make. It doesn't always seem that way, especially when we view joy and gratitude as something that happens as a natural response to good things happening which it is that, but it's also something that we can choose to participate in even when things are not going well because we're commanded to do it in all circumstances. And honestly, I think that is one of the, I think that is one of the most, one of the most powerful things we can do regarding joy and regarding gratitude is to choose to access it in times when it is not the natural response to what we're experiencing. It's just like love. The love of God is the most transformative thing that a person could ever experience. And I find that the, the power and the, the transformative power of the love of the Father is most potent and it is most powerful when we experience it, when we feel the most unlovable. And I want to I propose that it's the same thing with joy and gratitude, that when we are in a, in a season, a time, a day, when what we're experiencing does not naturally produce feelings and thoughts of gratitude and joy, that if we can figure out how to access those things in those times, that it will actually change our entire perspective on what's happening around us. What I like about gratitude is that it is, it's past, it's present, and it's future. Not everything is like that. Uh, we'll take fear and faith, for example. I, I find that fear and faith tend to be more future-focused, right? Where um, I would say that fear is, I would say that fear is, an, is imagining a future outcome to a situation in which the Lord is absent, 
Whereas faith, on the other hand, is imagining the future outcome of a circumstance, of a situation in which the Lord, with his love, his goodness, and his faithfulness, is present. And don't, uh, don't discount the importance of and the power of the imagination. The imagination is not childish. I think it's childlike. I think that the imagination is actually the place where, where faith is conceived within us. Because if I'm going to imagine something that hasn't happened yet, I actually have to have an active imagination. And that's what faith is. Because we don't have faith or hope for what we've seen. Those are reserved for what is unseen. And, um, and so what I love about gratitude is that it is, we can access it past, present, and future. So we can access gratitude past just simply by thinking about just taking stock and inventory, inventory of what the Lord has done for us. Um, I find that, that the more I build a history with the Lord and the more intentional I am in looking for his goodness in my past, the easier it has become for me to expect him to be good in the future. Think about Psalm 23 that says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely, goodness and mercy. We are being followed by goodness and mercy. And someone named Shirley. Just kidding. <laughs> Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. And that verse tells me that I can look back at the entire history of my life for as long as I can remember. And no matter what I've gone through, I know that the goodness and mercy of God can be found somewhere in everything. Sometimes, though, it's hard to look back, especially at the most difficult times in our life, the times when we've experienced the most pain, the most trauma, the most difficulty. It's hard sometimes to look at that and to figure out where is the Lord's goodness and mercy present in that moment. And I also find that if I'm having trouble accessing gratitude for what the Lord has done in the past, that it's, that it's best to start in the present and start looking wh at what is around me right now in which I can see the Lord's goodness and mercy. And so I thank the Lord just about every day for, uh, you know, for family, for friends, for this church, for community. There's a whole list of things that I just, um, I'm just building, I'm intentionally building a lifestyle of gratitude. And what's interesting too is that scientists are doing studies on gratitude and they're finding that people who actively and intentionally practice gratitude are having their brains rewired. We can actually change the way uh, we perceive our circumstances. We can change the way we perceive our surroundings, the way we perceive the Lord. The way we perceive everything can be changed just simply by actively and intentionally practicing a lifestyle of gratitude. But it's a discipline. Um, <clears throat> and the thing about future forward gratitude, um, grati you can partner gratitude and faith in that if you are facing a situation and you don't understand how the Lord is going to do something good out of this, you can actually, what I love about, and really we're getting into just the topics of hope and faith, but we, are, we actually have the ability to look at any situation that we will ever face and know confidently that if we are not seeing goodness in this yet, then the Lord is not working. Because what does Romans 8.28 say? That the Lord works all things together, right? All things. Uh, if I, I didn't do a, a, a keynote tonight. If I did, I, um, 
my foundation students would tell you, I would have pie charts. There would be so many pie charts that I would have put up in this topic. Because you read verses like, like these that say, rejoice always. I would put a pie chart up and I'd say, here are the times you know, we're supposed to rejoice always and the whole thing would be one color, right? And I'd put up another one, pray unceasingly. When are we supposed to pray? And so, um, and what I love is that the Lord is able to work all things together for good. So I know that if something is not good, then the Lord is not done working in that area. Now, here is something I want to bring some uh, bring a distinction and draw kind of a distinction to, and it may sound like I'm splitting hairs, but I think this is really important. I want to I want to address for a minute um, exactly what we are to be thankful for in hard times. Because I've had a lot of conversations with people, and I've heard people say, um, I've heard people say things, people who are experiencing a really difficult situation. Maybe they had bad news. Boy, the street noise in here is incredible. Um, um, I've I've heard people who are going through a hard time express to me that they are thankful for the suffering, that they are thankful for the the hardship, the trouble, the problems, because they know that the Lord will do something good through that. And I want to propose to you that we're not to thank the Lord for the hardship, for the suffering, because he does not offer author suffering. What we can thank the Lord for is that is the fact that his goodness is going to do something in, the, in a tough situation that we may not currently understand. I, I, heard a, I heard Bill Johnson share a story one time where he said, um, it was like a Sunday night service or Wednesday night service at Bethel, and somebody uh, felt the Lord prompt them to give Chris Valentin a check for 30, it was like $30,000, it was a lot of money. But Chris wasn't at that particular service, and so they gave the check to Bill and said, hey, this is for Chris, would you deliver it to him? So the next day in the office, uh, Bill handed, it, handed Chris the check and explained, you know, so-and-so you know, wanted me to give this to you. And what Bill says is, he says, You'll note that Chris did not thank me for the money. He went and he found the person who, gave, who wrote the check, and he went and he thanked them, right? And too often, I think we end up, because Bill didn't give Chris the money, he was the middleman. And too often, we end up thanking, I hear people thanking the Lord for giving them something that he didn't actually give them. So the Lord doesn't give sickness to teach us a lesson, the Lord doesn't, the Lord doesn't, doesn't, he is not the author of suffering. He is not the author of tribulation and affliction. He understands that that is going to be a part of our experience here, but he doesn't cause it. What he causes is goodness and mercy to come shining through. Yeah. Um, probably five or six years ago, gosh, probably six years ago at this point, I was talking to somebody, um, an old friend, and this particular person had a, had a history with a very specific addiction that they were dealing with. And I remember kind of talking to them about that, and they were, they were really open with me about it, and so we, we talked a little bit. And he was going to a, kind of like, a, like an AA group, but it was for, you know, it was for this other thing. And he was, he kept expressing to me how thankful he was for the addiction that he had because, um, because he felt like he had grown a lot with what the Lord had brought him to through that addiction. 
But he kept, he kept telling that to me. I'm, he kept expressing this gratitude for the addiction because through that, the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord had done so much good. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't really have the, um, I didn't really, you know, have the words to, to really express just how kind of off I think that is. But the Lord doesn't give things like addiction, right? He doesn't give bondage. He gives, he brings freedom. Um, and I, I thought of this verse too. So this is 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And this is another, another verse uh, regarding the will of God for all of us. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. See, I don't want to thank the Lord if I'm experiencing an addiction, if I'm experiencing some kind of cycle or pattern of sinful behavior in my life. I'm not interested in thanking the Lord for that because he didn't give that to me. And the problem, too, is if you end up thanking the Lord for giving you something that he didn't give you, you may miss the fact that he wants to give you something else entirely, which is freedom and deliverance from that thing. You know, salvation and really, we'll say it this way, freedom, freedom from the dominion, from the power, from the authority of sin, it's found at the intersection of grace and faith. Too often we look for freedom from the dominion of sin at the intersection of law and human effort. And we think that if I can just work hard enough, maybe I can, maybe I can change this aspect of my life. If I'm experiencing addiction or, or some kind of cycle or pattern of sinful behavior, maybe if I just work hard enough, maybe I can, you know, muster up enough willpower, I can actually break the cycle. But freedom from the power and the dominion of sin is not found in law and human effort. It's actually found at the intersection of grace and faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. So if you hear me boasting about the level of freedom that I'm living in, I'm probably living with an inferior understanding of what grace is. Because if you're living in freedom that came by grace and faith, then you know that it wasn't me, you know that it was the Lord. How about uh, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2? Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, um, I'm forgetting the rest of it. I've got it here somewhere. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Okay? I, I've, I'm, I realize I'm getting off subject here, and so I could preach about this for hours, and I'm just gonna, I'll just say this. Um, it is through Christ that we have obtained access by faith into this grace, okay? The, the intersection of grace and faith is where true freedom is found. And Romans 6.14 says this. It says, Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. 
And I remember feeling, that going back to that story of my friend who was telling me about this addiction that he had been dealing with for years and years, and he had been, he'd been told to believe that because he, was, he had been previously addicted that he, for the rest of his life he would be an addict to this thing. And, and my, heart, I, my heart just broke for him because I just remember thinking, man, if you, if you don't believe you can be set free, then your unbelief you know, in the grace and your unbelief in the power of grace and faith is actually the thing that's keeping you bound. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, we're not to give thanks to the Lord for that which he did not give us. When we're experiencing difficulty, hardship, suffering, problems, when we're experiencing those things, what we can do is we can find something that is always true to be thankful for. What is always true about the Lord? Well, he's always good. He's always faithful. And I wish, I wish that a grateful heart is something that we could impart to you. There are some things, you know, Paul writes about impartation. In Romans, in Romans 1, he, ta- he says, basically opens a letter saying, I wish that I could come and be with you because there are some spiritual gifts that I want to impart to you. And he wrote to his, uh, his spiritual son, Timothy. He said, uh, don't neglect the gift that you have that came by the laying on of hands of the elders. And so, th- you know, the Bible talks about impartation and there are things I wish I could explain it. I don't even understand. If you've ever had somebody lay hands on you and pray for you, some, at, at times there are supernatural transferences that happen between people. And it's amazing and it's bizarre. I don't understand it, but I love it. Um, but I don't think that a I don't think that a grateful heart is actually something that somebody can impart to you. I think that it's only something that you can ac- access through discipline and through choice. It is a choice, but it's a choice that's always available. I think we talk often about revival and, and having a move of the spirit, and I'm all for it. I think at times in the past I have wanted a move of the Spirit because I was secretly hoping or wishing that he would come and that he would change the things that I didn't like about my life in such a way that I could abstain from any sense of personal responsibility or intentionality in actually partnering with him in the process of my growth. So much of our of our journey into sonship is, is a process that happens through relationship and friendship with Jesus. I want a move of the Spirit. The last couple of weeks have been so fun for me. I mean, I love having weeks where, you know, tonight, the whole night I was wondering, I wonder if I'm even going to preach tonight because we don't know. You know, we don't know if worship will just take off and, and maybe we won't even want a message. I love that. But I, I don't want to invite the Holy Spirit in my life for the purpose of taking care of the things that he wants to take care of with me. Um, I don't think he wants to move in such a way that the problems in your life get fixed without any sense of personal responsibility or intentionality because so much of it is meant to be walked out through friendship.
In the same way that gratitude is always a choice, no matter what we're facing, we can always find something to be grateful for. In the same way, complaining is also equally as available to us. In some, in some cases, I would say that complaining feels even more available to us than gratitude does. I find that complaining empowers an inferior mindset that really undermines the gift and ability that we've been given to partner with the Lord in faith. I think that complaining comes as the result of having a greater awareness of the problems we're facing than of the Lord. I think that the more aware we become of the Lord and his presence and his intentionality and, and activity in our lives, I think the more aware of that we become, the more naturally grateful we'll become. Um, to, to have faith in the Lord, it, it doesn't ever mean to deny the existence of a problem because we're going to face problems or we're going to face difficulty in life. The Lord doesn't, doesn't bring those things to us. He brings, them, he brings us through them, if anything. But having faith in the Lord doesn't ever mean denying the existence of a problem in our life, but what it does do is it refuses to give that problem a greater place of influence in our life than the Lord. Yeah. Let's read a few more verses. Let's go to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm always nervous if I use this. The water bottle's going to fall through. There we go. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Oof. Do not be anxious about anything. That reminds me of John 14.1 that says, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be anxious about anything. Let not your heart be troubled. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. You know, I've heard it said that if you want the peace that surpasses understanding, you're going to have to forfeit your need to understand everything. Sometimes we come into a situation in which we don't understand. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand why this is happening to me. But we're not always meant to understand that. What we can understand is that the Lord is good and that he's faithful. And I think that there is this, there is this, this, um, this thing we can do with the Lord where we lay down our need to understand and say, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand how you can do something good here but I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to trade you my understanding for your peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
what I think is so powerful about partnering gratitude and prayer together is that if you are praying, especially praying in a difficult time, and you're able to, to partner your prayer with gratitude, I find that it will keep your prayers on target. There's a time, there's a time to bring requests to the Lord, absolutely. Paul says, bring, make your requests known to the Lord, right? In everything by prayer and supplication. But he says to partner those things with thanksgiving. So if I'm spending any amount of time in prayer and all I'm ever bringing to the Lord is a list of needs and requests, and I'm not actually bringing thanksgiving with them, then I'll probably feel like I am trying to pray my way out of a hole rather than praying from a position of authority as somebody who is seated in heavenly places. Because I don't want to come to the I want to come to the Lord with requests. I want to come. I want to let Him know it, it's okay to have times of where you feel like you are in desperation for the Lord to move. That's okay, but I don't always want to be stuck in the cycle of desperately needing something from the Lord, but never actually taking time to access uh, the gratitude for who He's been. Because remember, building a history with the Lord will help you to understand and expect what He'll do again for you in the future. And I don't want to come to the Lord, I don't want to approach the throne like a poor beggar. I think sometimes, sometimes we pray and we're wondering if our prayers are reaching heaven. Um, but in reality, I think our prayers should be originating in heaven. That would have been a good, a good time to say, nope, nope, you missed it. Nope, the moment's gone. <laughs> A lot of times we wonder if our prayers are reaching heaven, when in reality they should be originating in heaven. We actually have the opportunity, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. We actually have the opportunity as people who are made new, who are citizens of heaven, who are seated at the right hand of God, right? We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are seated in heavenly places. We have the opportunity to pray over our circumstances from that position, but often we just come to the Lord with a list of needs and we don't actually partner that with gratitude. We don't partner that with an awareness of who he is and who he's been. We just come to him with needs. And when we do that, that doesn't feel to me like a prayer that's going to move mountains. But it's when we can access who he is and who he's been and we can partner that with, Lord, I know who you've been. Here's what I'm needing. I know that this is what you'll do again. And when we can partner our prayers with gratitude and faith and and start to build an expectation for us, to me, that feels like a prayer that is originating from a place of authority, from a position um, in which we're seated in heavenly places. Could I get a little music?
Just take a moment and start accessing gratitude right now. Hear the Lord saying, take a moment and see if you can exhaust the list of things that you have to be gratitude, to be grateful for. saying, don't let your gratitude and appreciation towards others go unexpressed and unshown. I think it's incredibly important that we express our gratitude to each other, to the Lord and to the people around us. That's something that Katie and I have practiced for as long as we've been married. We find every opportunity that we can to tell each other thank you. And if you're spending time in prayer this week, bring don't just bring a list of needs and requests to the Lord, but also bring a list of things that you're thankful for to him.
for the ministry team? We do, yeah. Y'all can come on up. I'm going to pray over you guys for just a minute. And then if you need prayer for anything, uh, we've got a really great team up here. Really good, safe, powerful people. Come get prayer for whatever you need. But my encouragement to you guys is to uh, to be, this coming week, be more intentional and more active than you've ever been in practicing gratitude. And find, find every opportunity to find something to be thankful for. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you are. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you've been good and we thank you that your goodness is so great that we've even missed it at times. But I thank you that you're good and that you move even when we don't see it. Teach us how to access greater levels of your presence through the gates of gratitude. Lord, we thank you for who you've been for us. We thank you that our past is saturated in the goodness and mercy, in the goodness and mercy that you have to give us. And Lord, help us to be people who are expectant that your goodness and mercy will be evident in everything, in every season, in every situation that we ever face. Lord, we thank you that there's no problem that you've not provided a solution for already. Lord, let us be people who are so aware of you, so aware of your presence, so aware of your character, so aware of your love, that every problem we face just becomes another opportunity, opportunity for you to do something great. In Jesus' name.